If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you go to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 15. Maybe you have a phone with you, you have it electronically, maybe you have a hard copy. If you don't own a Bible, we have uh, free Bibles in the back. I'd love for you to pick one of those up on your way out there on that brown table back there if you need one. While you're turning there in Romans 15, um, just a reminder, parents, if you have children and, and you'd like for them to be dedicated this coming weekend, Mother's Day weekend, next weekend, we'd love for you to participate in that. Let the office know this week and they will get you on the list and you can sign up for that, the child dedication next weekend. So Romans 15, we're going to continue on with where we left off at. The reason Michael chose that last song, that you are my living hope, is we want to pick up that theme where we left off last week and and talk about the role of the Bible in your fight for joy in the midst of your week. How does that play a role for you? If maybe you already looked in your bulletin, you found inside there an insert, and there's a a piece of white paper that says, read the Bible in a year. That's something I would love for you to pull out. And if you have never read the Bible before, all the way front to back, or perhaps you'd like to do it again, there's an insert in your bulletin, and it gives you a sample package that you can read Old Testament and New Testament each day for 365 days, and at the end of the 365 days, you will find that you read all the way through the Bible. You're going to find how that plays into what we're looking at this morning in Romans 15. Before we do any of that, though, I'd love to pray with you this morning and talk with God about what we're about to do. Would you join me in that? Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the gift of music, and I thank you for the way you worked through Michael just now to lead us and walk us through the reasons why we have praise, why we worship, why we can celebrate. We, we did that unashamedly and just lifted thoughts and words and music tones to your praise and to your glory because you're worthy of it. And now we turn our attention to your word, and we ask that through your word you would speak to us, that you would encourage us. Both, for Father, for those who are mature in Christ, those who are believers, those who are growing, and for those who might be here this morning who are trying to figure this out and may not know yet whether or not they believe. God, I ask you to be close to both of us and that you would cause both groups to grow and to understand and that you would enlighten our mind about who you are. We pray for that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. So I'm going to ask you if you're willing to say amen to this statement if you agree with it. Whatever you face in the way of difficulties, whatever you may encounter today in your life, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week coming up, you don't know what this week holds, whatever you may face in the midst of your day today or tomorrow is bearable because God is faithful. And I want you to hear that again. Whatever you may face is bearable because God tells us of a better day yet to come. And that's hope. That's true biblical hope. We want to understand hope this morning. Why did we just declare He's our living hope? Why can we say, yep, the troubles I'm going through, they're light and momentary. There's a better thing waiting for me. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but there's a better thing waiting for me. We want to understand how we can trust God's word in the midst of the battle of being on this planet. So I ask you this question. If you could impart hope to someone in your social circle, who would that someone be? 
Does a name pop in your mind? You're watching online right now, maybe you're thinking of an individual like that. Is that you? Do you need hope? Then you especially want to dig into this with us this morning. Maybe you're that one who needs to have hope. Let's pick up where we left off at last week, Romans 15, 4. You see this on the screen. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So Paul's making a really strong case here for the role of the Bible in your weekly battle for lasting joy. Remember what he's doing? He's trying to help believers. He's writing specifically to the believers in Rome. The the church has a strong difference of opinions among those who are mature in Christ and those who are what he calls weak. The mature believers in Christ, they understand grace. They know they've got freedom. But the ones he calls weak, they're, they're immature in the sense that they're legalist. And they think everything is done by a series of do's and don'ts and a system of rules. And so there's debate within the church about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, what kind of days should we set aside, what should we do on those days. And it's causing friction within the church, which is the last place you want it. Because the church is supposed to be the hope of the world. The world's supposed to be looking at the church instead of seeing friction. Now, if you were here in the month of March, you know that we spent some time in chapter 14, and chapter 14 was talking about all those legalism issues, and now you find Paul talking about it again in chapter 15, and it seems like it's bleeding over, and maybe you're thinking, well, it seems like he should have been done with it. That's chapter 14. Why is he picking it up again? Well, remember, when Paul wrote these things, when the authors of the Bible wrote these things, there were no chapters, and there were no verses. Chapters were introduced in 1205 A.D., And verses, those were put in in 1501 A.D. I'm really grateful for them. I'm glad the chapters and verses are there because it helps me navigate and find my way through the Bible. But when Paul's writing this, chapter 14 for us, what we call chapter 14, it was just a continuous line of thought right over into chapter 15. And he's pushing this same theme. Now that's just a detail, but here's the thing that we want to know. When people are caught up in the midst of focusing on that kind of trivia, that kind of legalism, What's the best thing you can do for them? Best thing you can do is remind them of the big picture. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's bringing the big picture before them. It's kind of like a rebooting of the hard drive. And verse 4 does exactly that. And I told you last week, it's one of the most important verses in the Bible regarding the role of the Bible in your life. Paul's saying, these things that you hold in your hand, it's for stirring joy It's for stimulating excitement within you. It's for producing encouragement to sustain that joy, which sustains endurance. And not just during times of friction, but especially then, can I get a witness? Amen? When somebody says, can I get a witness, they mean, say amen, right? Okay. Apparently, you guys didn't go to church in the South. Okay. Uh, Hear this again. These things are for stimulating and awakening joy within you. And the joy produces the endurance. And not just during times of friction, but especially then during that time. So know this this morning. God means for you to get encouragement and endurance from your Bible. That's his purpose in it. He built it that way. 
From Genesis to Revelation, he intends for that to happen. The whole thing was written for your benefit. And if you're not getting that, you're not reading it right. That's the way God built it. That's the way he designed it. So this is the reason God designed it with that goal in mind. Ask God for that this morning. If you're not getting that, if you're not getting endurance, if you're not getting joy, maybe you don't have the hope because of some trauma going on in your life. You can in just a few minutes during this time of reflection if you want to when we get ready to do communion. You can just cry out to the Father and say, God, I want that. I want joy. I want hope. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I want that, Father. Ask God for that. You can do it right now in the quietness of your seat. Just ask Him. He'll respond. Now, chapter 14 and chapter 15, a little bit confusing because on one side, it looks like Paul's writing to the church about legalism. But on the other side, it looks like he's writing to the church about sustaining joy. It seems to be this twofold issue going on here, like two separate streams of thought. I'm showing you that they're in fact one. They actually merge together. Paul's got this big goal of reminding us of the crucial nature of keeping the big picture in front of us. So let's bear down on a three-word phrase that he used. Might have hope. This will be really significant for you. You might even want to circle that in your Bible if you have your Bible open, especially when things don't look so hopeful in your life. This phrase, have hope, is really significant because hope is a verb what do we know about verbs? Well, I'm not going to try and take you back to eighth grade English class, but we know that verb is an action word, right? So an action word does something. It stimulates. Hope is a stimulator in this case. And Paul's saying it's something that you have hope so that we might have hope. So hope in the Greek language is written in the present tense. It's a present reality, not a past, not a future. That's something that you can have right now. So the hope is a verb, and it's a present text reality, and it's a stimulator. So stay with me on this thought. It's a continuous, current possession that's ongoing. How is that contrasted from the hope of the world? Well, the hope of the world fades away. But biblical hope is ongoing. It never fades away. It's always there. It's always available for you. This is different than the general kind of hope of humanity. That's not the kind of hope that Paul's talking about. So it's not like saying, man, I really hope the Tigers win the World Series this year. That's a false hope, I'm telling you. Okay? <laughs> Watch where you're putting your hope. It's, it's not like saying, I really hope. I have enough money put away for retirement. So those might be issues. Those might be really significant issues in your life. And you would prefer a good outcome. But those are strategies that somebody has to work toward. That's not what Paul's writing about here. He's writing about biblical hope. How is biblical hope different? Well, biblical hope is guaranteed. It's rock solid. It's locked in. But it has not yet occurred. See, here's the difference with biblical hope. You don't have to say, I really hope God lets me into heaven one day. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can say, heaven is my hope because it's my destiny. It's rock solid. It's guaranteed because of what Jesus did on the cross. Can I get a witness? Amen. Hey, well done, you guys. Good. You're picking up on those cues pretty quick. 
to, that's a kind of a hope we want. That hope leaves no doubt of the outcome whatsoever. And here's why it's so significant. Because it will sustain you in the darkest hour. You get a busted relationship. You get a broken bank account. You got a, a health issue that's going on. God says, I will sustain you. You have a hope. There's a brighter day ahead. There's a brighter future for you. That kind of hope will sustain you. Now, with that thought in mind, let me reach back to the 1970s. There's a fairly famous African-American pastor in the 60s and 70s. His name was William Waddy. And William Waddy had a great insight with that thought in mind. Look with me at his quote. May I therefore suggest that this is our unique contribution to the world of today. It is to offer the biblical message of hope from the God of hope to a world of shattered hopes. Yes, William, please do. You may suggest that because he is precisely correct. This word that you have open in your laps right now, maybe you have it electronically or the hard copy, maybe you don't even own a copy, this word that you see you're reading on the screen, it not only reminds you as a believer of your eternal hope, but it tells everyone, here it is. You want hope? Here it is. It's available to you. See, it's exclusive because it belongs to believers, but it's not exclusive because it's for everyone. God says it's right there if you will just believe. Now, if it belongs to us and it is a present reality, it is absolutely crucial that we keep this hope before us, that we not allow it to fade away. Well, how do we do that? Well, let's lean back into those two words that Paul used, perseverance and encouragement, before we move forward. Let, let me show you on the screen, first of all, this word perseverance. It says, so that, in verse 4, so that through the perseverance, that's the word hupomone, cheerful constancy. Have you ever seen perseverance that way as something cheerful? I love that it says that it's a, a cheerful constancy, that it's an enduring patience. You know what that tells me? It tells me we're not supposed to be a bunch of Eeyores. What, what did Eeyore do? Oh, bother. I suppose if I have to. That's not a cheerful endurance. If you don't know who Eeyore is, check with a five-year-old. He'll tell you, okay? So we're supposed to have this joyful endurance for God to build our strength in us in my life, this has been one of those characteristic things that I can identify in other believers and know that they're a believer without even knowing them. Have you ever met somebody that you don't have a relationship with and yet you see in them this thread of a constant peace within them? There's a joy you can't explain and you just want to say, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because it's just there. You can see it, right? Not every time. But, but it's evident, it's one of those things that's a characteristic of a believer. My life verse when I was in college, when I was in flight school, Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their what, church? Shall renew their strength, right? Some of you know that verse. They who hope in the Lord, another translation says, they will renew their strength. Now, that's the perseverance side. Let's go to the encouragement one. And we'll put the two pieces together. So that through the encouragement of scriptures, it says, now who here hasn't been comforted by a greeting card? 
Who here hasn't received maybe a good note back from your teacher? Maybe you were in kindergarten and you got your first gold star on your piece of paper. Or maybe your mom said, wow, really good job coloring. Who here hasn't received some form of encouragement through well-chosen words in your life? Well, that's really significant to us as humans. The greeting card industry has made a fortune on that reality. Just ask Hallmark. They can produce television shows now, right? Hallmark has built a fortune on the reality that we like getting well-chosen words. So this last week, I received a greeting card from someone in the church, and it was well-written, beautiful penmanship, and it just flowed and gushed with thoughts. And I thought, well, I'm not worthy of the things this person is writing here. But they signed their name at the bottom. If they had never signed their name, or put the return address on the card, I would have had no idea who it was from. It was more encouraging to me because of the relationship I had with that individual. Let's look at this word encouragement on the screen. This is in relationship to hupomone, this word periclesis. It says exactly what you think it should say in regards to encouragement. Solace, oration, imploration, comfort, consolation. This is a really significant word because the name of the Holy Spirit is paraclete, the, the root of the word paraclesis. Paraclesis is encouragement. The Holy Spirit is the encourager. So let's understand this. We know that we need to have a certain source to be encouraged. If I got the greeting card with no name, it wouldn't have meant anything. But because there was a name, there was a source behind it, it meant something significant to me. So one aspect of reading my Bible is that it's encouraging to me because I can read of the faithfulness of God down through the generations. Constant, persevering, enduring, faithful God through all the ages. But another aspect of it is that the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. And he brings comfort. And he brings aid. And Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper for you. Look with me on the screen at John 14. John 14, 26. But the paraclete, it's the Greek word for helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The helper will do that. So now we begin assembling these pieces together and we understand that what we're holding in our laps right now, what we're looking at on our screens, is not just a source of technical information. It's not just a collection of stories. It's not just a historical document for the sake of knowledge alone. It's that, but it's not just that. This is God's chosen instrument to bring comfort and consolation and patient endurance to you. And it's a stimulator. It's a catalyst. What's a catalyst? You bring two chemicals together, two compounds together. There's a reaction. There's a chemical reaction of some type. Check what happens with the Word of God. When the Word of God is brought together in conjunction with the Spirit of God, there's a spark. And that spark produces a holy fire within you. There's a holy fire of endurance that cannot be quenched by the storms of life, according to God. It perseveres, it encourages, even in the darkest valley of your life. On the opposite side, what would it look like if you didn't have that? What if you didn't have a comforter? Just a sample verse for you. 
looking at King Solomon, King David's son, King Solomon, who inherited the throne. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Look what he wrote about somebody without comfort. Ecclesiastes 4.1, Then I looked again at the acts, all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. You see despair, you see oppression, you see tears. But for you, God set two things in motion for your good. The Holy Spirit is not only your teacher, is your comforter, and the Word works together inseparably with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? You become enlightened, you become illuminated. You have a brightened outlook. That's right. I've got a hope. That's right. God is constant. That's right. God is always there for me. He's always active. And the Word of God becomes an instrument of comfort in your life. So watch now how very quickly Paul draws together verses 5 and 6 to end this. Verse 5, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Kind of feels like a benediction, doesn't it? It's like, Paul, what are you doing? Are you wrapping up Romans early, Paul? Why are you writing that? Now may the God who gives perseverance. Well, he's injecting a short prayer here before he gets to the end of 16. He's injecting a prayer in the stream of his thought. Paul does this a lot when he writes. He just injects a prayer there. But notice what he says. Verse 5, you might want to circle that. The God who gives. See, in the midst of Paul praying, he has just reminded me, church, that God is the source. God is the source of the endurance. God is the source of the encouragement. He's the God of endurance. Can I get a witness? He is. He's the God of endurance. So he brings it. Here's what it should be telling you. This is what it's telling me. That means Paul is not compelling you and not exhorting you right now. Get your act together. you got to gin this up within you. you got to manifest these qualities. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this comes from God. If you're going to endure, if you're going to persevere, this is a gift of God. So rather than saying you have to pull yourself together, he's saying rejoice in God because God gives these qualities in ever-increasing measure in your life. And his short prayer doesn't stop there. He proceeds to pray that God will combine these things to give a spirit of unity. Man, he keeps pounding this unity issue a lot. He's praying for the believers in Rome to be of the same mind, literally to mind the same thing. And he's not just talking new hope. He's not just talking about unity for the sake of unity. That's not what he's talking about here. There's a purpose in the unity Sometimes humanity, people, agree together in unity on things that are totally against God. That's not what he's talking about here. There's a distinction. He says he's praying for unity that accords with Jesus. Do you see that at the end of the verse? According to Christ Jesus. And then Paul drops the hammer. Then we finally see why it's taken him a chapter and a half to state these things about the fighting in the church. Verse 6. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the unity issue again. Now, ultimately, what Paul's pushing here is that God would grant this spirit of unity in the church, not just so that we would please each other, not just so we would make each other happy, but for this reason, 
When the people of God are of one mind, something dynamic happens, and you cannot manufacture this. We just watched it during worship when Michael was leading us. We all, with one voice, lifting voices together, praising God in that moment, we truly glorify God. And then we're told in Scripture there's a bonus to that when we bring glory to God. There's something that happens that's very remarkable. What Paul's doing here is he's echoing Jesus. He's he's just simply repeating Jesus. Do you remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed? The night that Jesus is put in chains? What's going on in the midst of the conversation between God the Son and God the Father? God the Son is in the garden. And I told you a few weeks ago when we started talking about this, Jesus is on his deathbed. And if you've ever been near someone who's dying, the things they say to you are incredibly precious. So Jesus is on his deathbed. He's making his last moment request of God the Father. He's about to be crucified. And look at what he focuses on, church. Look with me on the screen. John 17, 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's talking about the disciples. But for those also who believe in me, that's you, New Hope. For those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe. So that the world may believe that you sent me. See, the purpose and the unity that Paul's been pushing for all the way through 14 and all the way into half of 15 is that there would be unity with one heart that we would glorify God the Father, that we would keep the hope before us so that the rest of the world would believe. See, there were tensions in Rome. There was fighting about what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. And somebody came up with a list of rules. And what the world saw, the Romans who were not in the church are looking inside the walls of the church saying, that's what they act like? They're seeing no difference. There's there's friction. There's fighting. So Paul's praying that they would be of one mind, that they would have unity so that they would keep the big picture in front of them and give themselves over to glorifying God. And when the church does that, there is a core chain reaction when the created takes the appropriate position before the Creator. And we can say, whatever you bring my way, Father, whatever trauma comes into my life, whatever hardship, I trust you because I know your word. And I read in your word that you're faithful. You are faithful through all the ages. I know you, God. You want the best for me. So hear this. This is 360 degrees back to where we started. Whatever difficulty you face today or tomorrow or Wednesday or Thursday, you have no idea what this week brings. Whatever you face is bearable because God tells me there's a better day ahead. There's a day of hope. There's a better day yet to come. This habit is especially important during times of great pleasure in your life. Things going really well? There's two different groups in this room right now, and I'm not talking about believers versus non-believers. 
I'm talking about there's a group of people for whom things are going really well and there's a group of people for whom things are not going so well. And this habit is really important in both cases. This habit is especially needed at times of great pleasure because if things are going really well, you're tempted to put your hope in the things of the world and that becomes precious to you. But during times of despair, this habit is really important because you're tempted to think, God's not in control. My foundation is crumbling. See, this habit is really important during both times. How absolutely perfect. I didn't arrange this. I could not have orchestrated this myself, that this passage landed on Communion Sunday. We're about to lift the cup. How absolutely perfect that Jesus is talking to God the Father at the Last Supper two hours later about this very issue. The night that he's betrayed, he's bringing before the Father, God, I pray that they would be one, just as you and I are one. Because if you've read the Bible, you know what happens in the next 24 and 48 hours. Jesus is executed. Can you imagine what was going on among the disciples right after that? You read the Bible and you see, I thought you were watching Judas. You mean you weren't watching him? Well, you, Peter, you accused him. You ran, well, you ran away the other way. Can you imagine the finger pointing and the gossip and the fracture that took place? We're told about it in the Bible, how they ran and hid. That's not believers acting in unity. That's believers acting in fear and accusation and in the midst of trauma. How remarkable that Jesus talks about this on the night that he's betrayed. And we get to read about it this morning. So I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read. If you're new to New Hope, we have a unique way of doing communion. I'll explain it in just a minute. This passage that I'm about to read you was written for your benefit. Listen to the hope. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread new hope and drink this cup, new hope. You proclaim the Lord's death until he, what church? Until he comes. Is there hope in that? See, he can't come again if he didn't rise again. If he didn't rise again, you still are in your sins. Is there hope in there? That was written for your benefit. That was written for your instruction. So Paul brings this really strong warning as a result of what's been written here. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man is to examine himself, and in so doing, he can eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul doesn't write that so that anyone would disqualify themselves in the sense of saying, I'm not good enough. It's rather a time to examine yourself to say, where am I at in my relationship with Christ? 
And this might be the moment when you would say, you know what, God, I have neglected your word. I haven't spent much time in it. I want to begin today. I want to move forward in that. We allow time here at New Hope for you to examine yourself. And when you're ready, there's tables in the back and up in the balcony and here in the front. And you can walk up to the front and join these others that are here and picking up the elements. Jesus said what we're about to pick up was to remember him. So you have a cup and you have the bread to remember his body and the cup to remember his blood. I leave this time to you. Talk to your Heavenly Father. When you're ready, come on up. If you're physically able to stand, would you do that and join me? We have all people have reason to praise, don't we? Because we have hope. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he held up bread and he said, this will represent my body, which is broken for you. And in the same meal, same evening, he said, we're told he held up a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Thank you, Father, that we celebrate a risen Savior which gives us an everlasting, never-fading hope. We're so grateful. You are the God who endures. You are the God who perseveres, and you distribute that attribute to us. Let it be true of our lives. Let it be true of our witness that we would be not ashamed. And I know I stand among people who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or they would never have lifted the cup. Thank you, Father, for the witness of this church. We praise you in the majestic name of Jesus, our Savior, and our soon-coming King. And all God's people said...